still trying to figure out why I was chosen. <laughs> and Tress was giddy when he told me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Foot-in-the-mouth disease. It comes in many forms, doesn't it? Um, that actually happened to a friend of mine. The very thing happened to me. We talked about it recently. And um, I, it was with a family thing, and he said to his sister-in-law, so when's the baby due? I said, how'd that work out? He said, not good. Not good. Still not. Um, Sometimes it's funny for somebody. Sometimes it's inappropriate um, when you put your foot in your mouth and you have this foot and mouth disease. I, one, uh, I'll give you one, okay? Um, We're in Israel and, um, we're, by the way, this one of the things about our, our Israel trip, and I, I had some, some something to do with some of the planning. Um, they had not planned to go to En Gedi. En Gedi is a little canyon area next to the uh, Dead Sea. Amazing area because where David ran from King Saul for about 10 years, if you read those stories in the Old Testament. And uh, I was there, and we got there late in the afternoon, and I would just... We're, we, by the way, that's going to be our first stop for our trip. I said, he didn't, they had us, the whole thing I planned, and I said, we're, I don't see En Gedi on here. He said, we're not going there. I said, yeah, we're going to go there. We've got to go there. It's my favorite spot, and it's all about me, right? Anyway, um, no, I, just, I really wanted to share that with people that are gone because it's just such a, it's, I think it's just such a meaningful place. So, but I was there for, when I was there, and, and um, I was just really enjoying just running around. We got there late in the day, and I, I wanted to go. There was, a, there was a particular traditional site where there was this confrontation between David and King Saul where he was in a cave, and, and it's, it's, I'm going to go into all the details, but David could have killed him but didn't and so forth, and there was a big confrontation after that. And there's a, there's a traditional site where they believe it happened. But that's, that's po- there's a guard posted there. And, and it, it, like, it was late, like it was for us, it was a little late in the day, and they said, no, you, she says, there's a woman guard. She says, no, you can't go any further. It's too late. And I said, you know what? I, 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 I've come all this way. I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I, I just got to go see this site. And uh, she said, I'm sorry, you just can't do that. And I said, uh, I'll be real fast. I'm real quick. I'm fast. And, and she says, no, you, you just can't do that. Well, let me stop the story right there. Before I went to Israel, um, I have a really good friend, still a good friend, who's been to Israel a number of times, a Jewish guy who's a, a, now a follower of Christ as well. And he's been to Israel a number of times, involved in some of the politics and some, so forth. And one of his last words of advice to me before we left um, uh, where we were, Colorado, he said, just remember, Rich, if you get into a situation, there's not much that a 20 or a 40 or a 50 can't get you out of. I mean, that, that can get you about anything you want in Israel. Just pull out some cash. So all of a sudden, I hear that voice in the back of my head. And she says, you can't go any further. And I said, I pulled out my billfold. And I started counting out a couple of 20s, and I said, what's it going to take? And she went crazy. And she said to me, you Americans think you can buy anything, don't you? And, um, and, and, you know, and she says, no, I'm a government official. You can't bribe me. This is really illegal. You know, you can get into trouble for this. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I, I was told that, that I could get just about anything with some money. And, and she said, well, you can't here. No, you've got to get out of here before I do something. And I said, oh, I took off. So sometimes, sometimes it's just you know, inappropriate. And you know, we can question my, my motives or not, but... Uh, Sometimes that foot-in-the-mouth thing can be funny. Sometimes it can be inappropriate. Most of the time, even when it's funny, most of the time it's hurtful. 
And that's exactly what happens in the narrative today in the Gospels with some great men of God, John, Peter, James, disciples of Jesus. And this is an amazing uh, narrative. It's in Luke uh, chapter 22, and it takes place really right before Jesus is taken away and then eventually crucified, buried in the tomb, and then raises again, of course, right before that. And here we are kind of building up to Easter, so it's appropriate that we do that. In this case, we're two weeks away. In this case, it was going to happen later that night. But um, so Jesus is going to have... Well, let me just show you. Just follow along with me. It's in chapter 22, verse 7 of the Gospel of Luke. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. This, is, this, this had to be one of the really cool things about being with Jesus because he knew exactly what was going to happen when and who you were going to meet, and it would be so fun to be with him. And he's saying, you're going to see this person and this person and this person. I mean, he could do that because he was God. It wasn't because he set it up. It was just God. So he says, he replied, as you enter, this is Jesus talking, as you enter the city, verse 10, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. So Jesus knew all this was going to happen, and, um, and they do that. Now, now, keep in mind, this is a very special time, this Passover meal, very special. And that's about to happen. By the way, the, the, the person that they're meeting must have been a follower of Jesus because they, they just say the teacher is asking for this. And he says, absolutely, let's make it happen. So that's what happens. Then verse 13, they left and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, inner circle people, very close. He says to them, just, this, is, this is pretty, um, pretty, just be careful here. Watch this very carefully. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. You understand what he's saying here? He's saying, guys, this is it. This is the last Passover in this life. It's a pretty serious moment. Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant. Watch that. The new covenant in which my blood, which is poured out for you, but the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. And they began questioning among themselves, which of them it might be who would do this. I want to take just a a pause for a moment, and I want to just draw your attention. This cup is the new covenant. It's like an agreement. Another word could be new agreement. And and you say, and and that's always, people always wonder, what what does that mean? We We live under the auspices of the new covenant. We do. To this day, we do. Let me show you just, just one verse in Jeremiah chapter 31. I hope it will explain to you what the new covenant is because we need to understand this. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the new covenant. 
I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Here's what the new covenant is. Believers become indwelled by the Spirit of God. They become indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, it's the emphasis upon the transformational nature of God working in a person's heart. And that, and that working in their heart makes its way to the outside. So it affects the behavior, not the reverse. That was, that was the new covenant. It wasn't about do, 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 don't do, don't do, don't do. It was about get your heart changed and you will do the right things. You will start seeing the things you should be doing and start seeing the things you shouldn't be doing. doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but you'll be able to see that. It's an inward obedience that affects the outward. That's the new covenant. And uh, Jeremiah tells us that. So that's when you see that. Back to the narrative. Jesus is saying, guys, this is it. I want you to catch this because he says, I've been looking forward to this because this is the last time we're going to do this together in this life. Now, the question you might ask is, how, how, the, how are the disciples going to respond? Probably going to respond with, you know, some weeping, and maybe some hugging and praying and maybe some meaningful conversations. Lord, you've, you've done so much, and I want to tell you just how much you've done, and maybe figuring out how we, can, how we could make the most of these remaining hours. They're going to do that, right? Well, let's see what the narrative says. The next verse, the next, watch this, the next verse, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them considered to be the greatest. Did you get that? Did you get that fully? That's, are you kidding me? Jesus is saying, this is it, guys. In a few hours, I'm going to die. I'm going I'm 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 to be suffered. I'm going to go to the cross. And they're saying, hey, who's going to be greater, me or Peter or James? You talk about foot in the mouth. You talk about inappropriateness. I mean, it's crazy. Look, look, how Jesus, look how Jesus responds to that. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is not the one who is at the table, but I among you as one who serves. I'm among you as one who serves. You are just, you are, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on, the, on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He basically lays down for us there in verse 27 and 28 what this principle that you hear a lot of places today, not just in church either. It's called servant leadership. You, you even read, you know, business books sometimes and leadership books and talk about the most successful leader is the servant leader. That started with Jesus right here. He says that the greatest shall be the least. And that was his, that was his encouragement to these disciples who were all, man, totally missed the point. Totally missed the point. They're arguing who's going to be the greatest. Well, you know, foot and mouth disease, if, if that's a disease, is there a cure? You know, um, where does it come from? Foot and mouth disease comes from one thing, all right? And, and it's not that deep. It's not that hard to figure out. It's just plain, old-fashioned selfishness. It's, it's me thinking about me and my stuff first. I'm more concerned about that than anything else. So what I want to do is just take a few minutes and just let's, let's talk about how to deal with your selfishness. I mean, if there's anything that I'm an expert on, it might be that, um, 
because we've all we all have to deal with it. Let's just be honest. We all have to deal with it, whether we whether we want to admit it or not. And I'm going to give you just three simple thoughts, movements of thought, to kind of get you thinking along these lines and what you can do about this. All right. First one is a simple one, and that is this: How do you deal with your selfishness? Others, listen to them and be open to them. Basically, this means have people in your life who have an ability to speak into your life, and you listen to them. Um, let me show you Proverbs seventeen seventeen. Iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another. One person sharpens another. Have any iron, do you have any iron sharpening iron in your life? Are there people in your life who can ask you the hard questions, and you're not going to lie to them? You're not going to cover up? You've got to have that. We have... We have such a unique ability as human beings to, to delude ourselves and to, and to think that we're, you know, someplace that we're not. If there's not somebody there who can... And, and, and hopefully you have that kind of relationship with your wife or your husband if you're married. And if you don't, um, even if you do, you, st- you still need some other people. And it doesn't be a lot. One or two people that, that you just can't lie. And you, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, whether you talked out of turn or gossiped when you shouldn't have or drank too much or, or watched something you shouldn't have watched. No matter what it is, you can tell them the truth and then hopefully deal with it and not make that a habit, whatever, whatever it might be. That's um, others. Listen to them and be open to them. Be a part of that. Iron sharpening iron. That's the first one. Simple. Not always easy to do. Others. Listen to them. Be open. It's called community is what it's called. Number two, self-examination. Do it often. This is a little tougher. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but you know the most selfish people usually, and certainly in my life, in the times that I've been selfish, the most selfish people are just unaware of it. They don't, they don't set out and say, I want to be selfish. They just end up there. That's why you need others in your life, but, but, but more than that... Um, we need to be able to do some self-examination so that we can figure out, am I one of those, what, if I'm one of those selfish people? So I, what I've done here is given you just five telltale signs that you might be selfish. Just five. It could be more. I even titled them. You'll, you'll see here. So some telltale signs that you might be selfish. The first one is this, the I'm holding court monologue syndrome. Okay. This is the behavior that basically looks like you have a 30-minute conversation and you're talking 26 minutes. That might be a problem, you know? Maybe it's just 24. That's not much better. And here's the thing. I mean, there are people who may talk and argue and preach and share and, and, and whatever else you may want to call it, but they're not listening. And communication works both ways. It's talking and listening. And a lot of people haven't learned that yet. Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs 18 says, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. <laughs> oh, I know that person. Yeah. I've been that person. I'm holding court monologue. Is that you? Don't listen very well. Time to start. Second telltale sign, this is the if it doesn't affect me, I don't care syndrome. Now, you know that person, right? This is, this is what, when something happens, if it doesn't affect me, I don't care. They got a, they got a, they got a you know, mudslide in California. Well, I'm not there, and I don't know anybody there, so I don't care. 
Uh, the, the classic example of this, in my, one of the classic examples in my life is I was uh, working at a radio station um, in uh, Vail. We were getting the church started there. And we had a, a radio station of a great guy named John Dobson. If you ever go to Vail, there's the Dobson Ice Arena that's named after him. He was a good friend, mentor, um, uh, sole owner of the radio station. That we were, it was a new radio station we were getting started. And um, they'd spend every summer, or they'd spend every summer in Vail, every winter in, in Hawaii. And we got, we got word during one winter day that he had, he had fallen dead on the golf course. Well, my first thought was, what a way to go. But um, that's inappropriate, so I won't say that. But, <laughs> but my, 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 seriously, my first thought was to think about Sissy, his wife, and the kids. I knew all of them. And I just kind of grieved, just, just grieved, because I really loved the guy. He was kind of one of those, one of those uh, benevolent dictator types, if you know what I mean. And uh, pretty strong and firm, but just, just had a big heart. It wasn't 30 seconds till I was in a production room with somebody, and somebody, it wasn't 30 seconds till somebody in the room says, I wonder how that's going to affect us. And I said, I said, are you kidding me? You're wondering how it's going to affect us. I mean, that really epitomizes how so many times people can be. How does it affect me? I was like that. I've been reading all this news about Greece. They're going to default, and I'm like, I don't care. Greece, who cares? I mean, it's a great country, and it's beautiful and all that, but I don't care. Then I had lunch with a friend, good buddy, on the street, and he explained to me what might happen to me and you if Greece defaults on their loans. And all of a sudden, I care what happens to Greece, you know? I'm like, oh, gee. Um, isn't, that, isn't, that, isn't that typical, though? I mean, we should just care because we care about people. And that's one of those things of selfishness. If, if it doesn't affect me, I don't care syndrome. We've got to get out of that. I'm going to ask God to help me and you with that. How about number three? It, it's, this is the it ain't my fault disorder. You know that person? It ain't my fault. Only they, they of course, if they're Ivy League, they might say, it's not my fault. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, in our area, we would probably say it's not my We wouldn't say ain't. But you know that person, right? That person is the person that, that is like, it's never their fault. And if there's nobody to blame, it's some sort of a cosmic rumbling that happened. And I don't know what happened, but it just, it just happened. It's not my fault. Um, you know, sometimes it's almost refreshing. When somebody, excuse my lingo here, when somebody just bellies up to the bar and says, you know what, that's my fault. I own that. And, and, and I'm, and I'm, let's, let's figure out how I can correct it. You know, it's, it's not all that common, actually, which shows you how selfish all of us can be. So, telltale signs, you might be selfish. You've got that I'm holding court monologue going on. If it doesn't affect me, I don't care syndrome. It ain't my fault disorder. How about this number four? The rude dude condition. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, that's kind of a sexist thing to say because it could be a girl. And you said rude dude. And it just worked better. The, the, the words just worked better. Rude dude. I guess we, I mean, you could say rude dudette if you want to as well. But, but um, this is the person who's just inconsiderate, you know, and, and they're rude. I don't know if you know this or not. When we're rude to people, we're just being inconsiderate. We may not necessarily intend it, but we're being thoughtless of that individual. I don't care whether it's a service person or a person driving or a person walking or a person you work with, play with or whatever. Um, 
rudeness equals selfishness. And sometimes we think we can get away with it here. And we can. That doesn't make it right. If you're one of those persons who are rude, you need to stop and just reflect and think about that as selfishness. Because it is. Last one, number five. This is the nothing is good enough downer. These are the people that I say are the people with the gift of discouragement. You know that person? No matter what happens, oh, no, yeah, it's not going to be good. Broke 90 last summer one time playing golf. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. It was good for me. And I said, hey, I told a bunch of friends, hey, I broke 90 at Balti the other day. And the guy says, ah, yeah, great. You'll probably be 120 next time you play. I'm like, oh, thanks, pal. Thanks. How about an attaboy? How about a, hey, way to go, Rich. You're getting better. Anything. Oh, well, yeah, you know. Glad I shared with you. Now I'm sure what I said. Um, listen, and I mean this, we need to, we really need more than ever in the world we live in, the culture particularly we live in, we need more than ever to develop that gift of encouragement because I don't think there's anything that's more desperately needed by people today other than Christ is, is to be encouraged because there's so many things that tear you down, just so many things. You got people around you you could be an encouragement to. I hope the Lord's bringing some names to your mind right now. And you need to be encouraged. Nothing is good enough downer. So what, how do I do it? I go through these five, these five syndromes and conditions or whatever they are, and, and, and how do I deal with this, Rich? What do you do? I'll tell you what I do, and this helps me, and this is one of those verses. I'm going to read it to you in a, in a translation that I didn't memorize it, and that's okay. Um, you need, you need to pray. You need to pray a simple, simple... I don't, it's a biblical prayer. It doesn't have to be a biblical prayer, but this happens to be a biblical prayer. And it's one that means a tremendous amount to me, and I pray it. I bet you I pray this prayer two or three times a day. Seriously, in my heart and my mind. And it goes like this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We've got to pray that sincerely, regularly. And I don't think, I mean, for me, once a day is not enough. Maybe I'm more selfish than you are. But, but I've I got to pray this a lot. Lord, help me. Search me. Help me to know. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Help me to see if there be any hurtful way. It's a different translation this way. I memorize it. Help, there to be, help me to see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That needs to be our prayer daily, folks. To guard against all the selfishness and all the garbage that brings with it. So that's, that's what I call self-examination. Do it regularly. So we start off with the first one, others. Listen to them. Be engaged with them. Secondly, self-examination. Do it often. You know... Here's the thing about this self-examination thing. I want to say one more thing. I want to go to this third one. Um, you can diagnose some of your own things. You can diagnose some of your own stuff, but you can't fix it. And that's where the Spirit of God comes in. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit, this is the word that is translated many times, is, is the great helper. And this is where the Spirit of God, who, those of us who are followers of Christ, the Spirit of God lives in us, and He can help us to recognize and overcome those things that are so hold us down, whether that be worry or whether that be stress or whether that be obnoxiousness or whether that be uh, gossip or whether that be 
all the other destructive things that we can get hung up on and get pulled down by. The Holy Spirit is our great helper. We just need to ask God, God, help me, because I need it here. So that's, that's self-examination. Do it, do it often. Third thing, Jesus. Let him always be your example. Keep his example on your mind. Um, one of the things that I always think about when I think about Jesus' life and the example that he gave us is this passage that I'm going to show you. And I've got to tell you, in last recent times, I have lived, I have lived in this passage. And it has helped me more than I can possibly communicate. And I'm going to, I may make one comment in here, but for the most part, I'm just going to read this and you read along with me. And I just, let, just let the Bible speak to you because this is just very clear. I'll make one comment, otherwise I'm just going to read it. Just, just, just read with me. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest. This is my comment. He doesn't say don't look out for your own interest. Don't look out only for your own interest. But take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. All Jesus is asking you to do is what he's done. Be humble. Don't think of merely of your own interest, but others as well. That's the example that Christ had. You know, when we are so self-absorbed, we aren't able to be the kind of husband, the kind of wife, the kind of father, daughter, son, wife, friend. When we're so self-absorbed, we can't be that person that we need to be. When we're self-absorbed, we're, we're, we're so dulled to being able to, to, to see and follow the precepts, the precepts, the principles of Scripture. When we're so self-absorbed, we are just unable to follow and obey the Lord's example and His, and his, and his words. And, and, and God, the Holy Spirit, wants us to become selfless, so much so that it becomes a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Let me show you something. Can I show you a picture? Show you a picture. Uh, a month ago, uh, we, Charlene and I were in Hawaii, and um, this is a new this is a new gimmick. I don't speak as much anymore, so I, I have to put pictures of pretty girls up here to keep your attention. Okay, so that's that's what I'm doing. That's my my wonderful wife of 40 years, and uh, we were in Hawaii. That's a lei, and I want to tell you the story about that lei because, it, it, by the way, that thing that was real all real flowers and it smelled really good. I mean, she always smells good, but this lei really smelled good too. So. Um, so we were, we were in Honolulu, and I wanted to go Saturday night, and I said, let's just go to, I knew of a church there, um, New Hope Church. I knew of it because I knew the pastor, or knew of the pastor, he had not met him. He's kind of a big dog in the circles I travel in. His name's Wayne Cordero, and he's a big conference speaker. In fact, I'd just been to a conference the week before where he spoke in New Jersey, and um, and. Um, so I wanted to see. I wanted to go to that church, and it was a, it's, a, it's one of these another one of those huge churches, like several satellites throughout the islands, 
And uh, the, the main campus was in Honolulu where we were. So we went to this church. And it was between services on Saturday night, between 5 o'clock service and 7 o'clock service. And I just went there. And I didn't, I didn't, I assumed he wouldn't be there. A lot of these kinds of guys speak 25, 30 times a year. And, you know, your chances of hearing them are pretty slim. He happened to be speaking that night. And so, uh, and I, we got there, and everybody's, everything's outside, you know. And uh, it's wonderful, by the way. I got pictures. You want to see pictures? I got, I got, a, I got a 15-minute slide, slideshow. You can watch it right here on my new iPad. Anyway, um, he was sitting there talking, standing there talking, and somebody said, that's, that's Pastor Wayne. And I, of course, I knew who he was. I didn't mention it yet. His book, Leading on Empty, I'm reading it right now. It's outstanding. Leading on Empty. It's great. So I walked over to him. I wanted to tell him about his the book. I was reading his book, and I'd seen him in a conference. And I introduced myself. Words to you. I'm a pastor in New Jersey. That always impresses people, of course. And um, <laughs> really, really, you are. And uh, and uh, he says, "So what brings you to the islands?" And I said, "Well, Charlene and I are celebrating our 40th anniversary." And he just kind of stopped and he said, "Oh my goodness! He doesn't even know what a rascal I am." Okay? He just looks at her and says, you're the one that ought to be honored here. And he took off his lay, and, and, and Charlene's like, no, no, no. He says, no, no, I insist, and put his lay over her neck. And it, it was just like, I mean, it was really a moment for us. I mean, it, was, it sounds like a simple thing, but it was very touching. We both just felt like, uh, we even got kind of misty-eyed, which, you know, I don't do that much. And um, it was just really amazing. It just touched us both that he wanted to honor her and us in that, in that manner and so forth. I thought about that. You know, that kind of, 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 of awareness of others and, and, and who they are, that doesn't just happen. That's a lifestyle. That comes as you, continue to, 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 as, you, as you continue to have others in your life to help you figure some of the stuff out. It comes as you continue to examine and self-examine and re-examine. And that comes as you focus on who Christ is. And it was just such a great example to me, and I just appreciated it so much. I don't know what that might mean for you. I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta tell you what I wrote here. Because I'm not gonna I'm not I'm gonna read it to you. I don't really mean it, okay? I wrote this a few days ago. Um, it may mean something as simple to you as praying about who to invite to church into Easter. And I reread that statement. It may mean something as simple to you as inviting somebody to church for Easter Sunday. And I thought about that for a moment because of some of the conversations I've had with people. And I'm like, you know, for some people, that's not simple. <laughs> that's a courageous thing to walk up to your neighbor and say, hey, this is a little thing. They have them back there at the guest center. I want you to give you, to invite you to Renaissance Church on, on Easter Sunday. I, I, by the way, I have another, I'm going to be full disclosure here. Treth, uh, our, our, our lead pastor, Chris Trethaway, last Sunday after the third service says, Gave away 500 of those, Rich. Can you beat that? I really want to beat him badly. I really want to beat him badly. Don't just take him and waste him. You've got to give him to people, okay? But it would be a personal favor to me to beat him. <laughs> I love him dearly, but it's, I sure love to beat. Anyway, uh, grab a bunch of those. It may mean something even bigger to some of you, this whole thing of being selfless. It may mean you have to change your lifestyle with the way you operate at work or at your club in your neighborhood, or in your home. Here's what I know. Jesus lived, he suffered, he died, and he rose again. And he did that to forgive us of our sins, to allow us to go to heaven, to save us from eternal damnation and hellfire. I believe that. But he also did that to save us from our sinful self-absorption, 
that can sometimes make it seem like we're almost living in hell. Not the same thing, but it can almost feel like that sometimes because we're so self-absorbed. Jesus came for that as well as we surrender to him and who he is and what he can do and will do in our lives. Start. Start now. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for the ability to come and talk and think and pray and let the Spirit of God work in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and all you're doing in everybody's life. I pray, God, that each one of us would would do whatever we need to do in terms of figuring out what needs to change, people we need to talk to about that. I pray most importantly, Lord, that we would, we would listen to the voice of that, that, that still small voice, the Spirit of God, working in our lives. We thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.